You can be seated. We are so glad to be able to, to seek that with God this morning and longing that He meets us. We want you to be there with us, so hopefully if you brought a Bible, would you open it up? Be with us there in Third John is where we're going to be this morning as we continue our verse-by-verse study in this letter. Third John is where we're going to head, and so if you have a Bible, you can make your way there. If you don't have a, a copy of the Scriptures, we have them in front of you, and the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen where you can get there rapidly. If you want to follow along on an app, an electronic device, that works as well. But our encouragement and hope is that you'd have a copy of the Scriptures, that it would be that through the Scriptures, God would speak to us this morning, and through His Word, He would just make known in our lives what we're needing to hear. That invitation here, but same in the overflow, and for you joining us online, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, We want you to be there fully with us. Grab a copy of the Scriptures. Have them before you this morning in a space that God would speak to each of us through His Word. So let's take a moment and ask Him for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer, and I'm hoping you would pray as well that your life would be open to hearing what God has for you and that He would speak to you what He has. Father, we thank You for this moment. We thank You that we get to come and gather and seek You. I thank You in the midst of this that You've given us Your Word. God, I ask right now that You would just grant us help, that You would grant us favor, that both understanding would be given to us, but that your word would impact us, rescuing us, drawing us, moving us from where we don't need to be to where you have for us to be. God, would you, in this moment in time, just give us favor in that. Open your heart to us, open your word to each of us, And may it last, may that which you speak to us be that which remains and works deeply inside of us, what you have for us. This morning we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you caught one of the crazy videos on the internet these last week or so. There in China they had these sheep that were going, literally walking in a circle for over a week just moving round and round, following each other, moved in ways. People are like, how do you even figure out they're doing that? But one thing is certain. Sheep have a propensity to follow each other. I found myself thinking about that, and maybe you saw it. It was just a couple months ago. There was a lady vacationing in France from America. She went out to go on her morning jog, put her ear pods in, and she's out running. And then she hears this funny noise. She turns around behind her, and a hundred sheep have just decided that she's their new shepherdess. And everywhere she goes, they, she can't get rid of them. She stops and talks to people, and they're like, what's going on? It's like, I don't know what's going on. Like they just, And she takes off, and they follow her. You know, kind of a crazy deal. I mean, eventually she had to kind of figure out where they might have picked her up, ran back over a route, eventually got them back to their, uh, you know, just grazing area. But crazy thing, and one of the things that just highlights extinguishly is we really are so much like that. Maybe you know, the Bible tells us that we are sheep. All we like sheep are, have gone astray, that all of us are, are his sh- you know, sheep. He is our good shepherd, and he likens us all the way through his word to being sheep so much there, not necessarily always complimentary, but some of it, again, we have this inherent propensity to follow. That in one sense, it's what we do by nature. In fact, it's exactly that that is being addressed for us here in 3 John. Why don't you notice it with me at the last verse that we'll cover this morning, down there in verse 11. 3 John, verse 11, says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good 
is of God. But he who does evil has not seen God. Beloved, he says, hey, make sure who you're imitating. Make sure who you're following. Make sure that you're choosing good examples to follow. Make sure because, again, they are impacting and influencing your life in powerful ways. Well, that's the only strong exhortation, honestly, in 3 John. Everything else is just description. The one imperative in this letter is this. Don't imitate what's evil. Imitate what's good. And in that, John gives us four men. We've kind of called this series in 3 John a tale of four men in a church. Four different men that are held before us that are held so in many ways we could see the example they have and to choose which to follow. If you've been with us already, we've talked about the exemplary elder. We saw the Apostle John and just the good example of a, of a godly influence continuing into the life of the church in the midst of that. He takes great measure to highlight in that church a godly man named Gaius, who is both walking with God, walking his ways, but very much a part of what God was doing in the world. And certainly a big part of the letter is to encourage just people to, to, to walk in that. Next week, we'll finish up our, our study in 3 John as we look at the devout Demetrius and the small just exhortation that John gives us there. But today, today we get to meet the fourth character or the third one, I guess, if you want to think about it in the list, and that is the dictatorial Diotrephes. Yeah, the dictatorial Diotrephes who's going to be held out to us as the one not to follow. I think that makes sense, but let's just think about it for a moment, because there in verse 11, he's going to tell us, hey, don't imitate the wrong examples. And in this letter, this is the only one that's not good. This is the only example that is meant to be held out to us not to follow. So this morning, we want to look at a man, Diotrephes, who you should be able to identify and then say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to follow that example I don't want that to be where I'm going. Now, before we dive into that, that raises some just important understandings. See, we're going to think about this dictatorial diatrophies and his impact into the church, but I've already painted him as the bad guy, right? I mean, you kind of get that, right? Like, dun, dun, dun. You know, it's like, however it plays out in your mind, you're like, okay, this is the bad, sinister guy. And somehow, probably already in your mind, you've got this forming picture. Maybe you picture some sinister evil. Maybe you picture somebody who's, you know, immoral and just absolutely a problem. Maybe just in, in so many ways, he's, you know, just, just tremendously evil in the things that he's doing. And maybe, maybe some of those things are true, but that's not what's highlighted for us. As we begin to think about this man, what I want to make sure you hear is the single thing that God really is going to highlight is that this man is what we'll say it this way, he is anti-missional. He is standing against the, the missionary call of the church. He's one that's doing that, that he's not being a part of that. In fact, it might be helpful just to read it. So in the verses we're going to cover this morning, as well as the verses that were right before this, there's this just repeated word that has the idea of receiving receiving and, and being a part of that whole thing. Let's note that. If you have your Bibles there, go back to verse 5. Speaking of Gaius, writing to Gaius, John says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey 
in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Yet Gaius rightly receives them. Now we dove into this last week, but I hope it's just kind of clear. The gospel's moving forward. Jesus has come, he had given the commission to the 12, and then on and said, hey, take this to the world. And that's exactly what's happening. And so very practically, people with that missionary call begin to you know, leave home and they begin to journey out into places that nobody's ever heard of Jesus before. And they're taking that gospel forward. And then every place that gets established, every place where people get saved and a church is going, that is kind of becomes a new launching pad that's meant to go further. That's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And honestly, that's still what's happening. We're still a part of that same movement, the gospel moving through the world. And so Gaius is receiving them. He's receiving these who, again, he says, if you send them on their journey in verse 6, you know, you do well. Um, he says, because they went forth for his name's sake. They didn't take anything from the Gentiles. Like they weren't being, they're, you're, they're being supported by churches. They're being supported by Christians so that they can take the gospel, you know, to the rest of the world. He says, you ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers of, for the truth. Diotrephes comes on the scene, though, and that's not what he's doing. Verse 9, I wrote to the church, John says, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. He won't accept it. He won't, he won't receive John. He won't receive missionaries that are coming through. On top of that, John says in verse 10, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren, and he forbids those who wish to do so, putting them out of the church. Wow. Okay, so again, we pause just to make sure that we're thinking this through. So the issue is, again, here, uh, you know, John is, is encouraging Gaius because he's, he's a part of that, but Diotrephes has become someone who stands against this. Now, this is vital. We spent a bunch of time on it last week, just kind of wrapping our brains around it. So if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back and get it, as we just tried to understand that this idea of the gospel and God building his kingdom and the church moving so that we have a heart for the world that God is you know, seeking to reach people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that what the church is in this world is that, that we are meant to be a light that is continuing to expand and continuing uh, to be a part of every means we can to touch the world. And that's what the church is being meant to do. Again, we talked about it a lot last week. Let me just give you a few verses that highlight that again so you can kind of feel the weight of that. Think about one of them where Jesus in Matthew 16 says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It was an amazing scene. Caesarea Philippi is up there with his disciples asking him, you know, who am I? You know, who, who do you believe that I am? And as they kind of answer those questions, Peter comes and says, hey, you're it. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you got it. And that's what I'm going to build my church on, on this belief, this, this accepting. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church on this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, we're going to touch the world with this, this gospel message, and I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. I love this verse. It's a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse of what Jesus is doing, but it's kind of funny. It's funny because as clear as it is, sometimes we just hear it wrong. 
I don't know how it works. Maybe it doesn't work this way for you, but I know it works for some this way, that they hear this verse and it almost has this idea, you know, like God's going to protect us in this world. You know, almost like, you know, we're going to go build a monastery up on a hill and we're going to be, you know, and the world's not going to be able to get in and we're going to, you know, you know, hold on and nothing's going to be able to penetrate, you know, the church and, you know, some maybe truths in the midst of that, but that's not what this verse is. He says that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. Hey, in a war, especially in wars in those days, gates don't attack anybody. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Unless you're having like a nightmare, okay? If you're having like a nightmare, maybe it works that way. But outside of nightmares, there's never been a, war, a soldier's like, man, it was the gates. They chased me. And just, and I ran as hard as I could in the gate. No, it's like gates don't attack we attack gates. So what's the message here? We're penetrating the gates of Hades. We're pressing into enemy territory, and we're rescuing souls. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to build my church. And right now, it's as if there's a, you know, they're, they're barricaded in the world and sin, and all it is is, is put up walls. We're going to penetrate those walls. And we're going to bring people to Jesus. We're, we're going to be able to go into the, this world, and we're going to take the good news of the gospel, and that is going to save people's souls. It's a great verse that Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, he has invited us and told us to be a part of that. He gave us the great commission you know, as he is getting ready to ascend at the end of the book of Matthew. He says, go therefore and make disciples, notice, of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hey, go. I want you to go to the world. I want you to go to the whole nations, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you till I come back. That's what we're going to be about. This is our business. Our business is souls. Our business is to touch the world for Jesus. And he promises us power in Acts 1.8. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Like, we're going to touch the world. Globally, locally, that's always been God's plan. That's, again, what it is, the, the church that's meant to be there. That's what we're supposed to be a part of. And you need to feel how this isn't like an extra. This isn't like something on the side. This is the very nature of the body of Christ in our world. And so it ought to become clear to you that what Diotrephes is doing, it's not just wrong. It's standing against the very progress of the gospel, about seeing people saved, about continuing the, this missional work that's going to touch the world. And so he is radically standing against that. And we need to see it. We need to see it for what it is. We need to see it for its wrongness. We need to see it in, in, in where it's coming. And so to see that, we get a couple of things. The first thing that he does here is he dives, takes us deep and tells us a little bit why, like why it's happening. Notice with me again in verse 9. You already read it, but see it again. It says, it wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, notice, who loves to have the preeminence among them. He does not receive us. Wow. Okay, so now we need to think about it. In fact, we need to spend a few moments on this because in so many ways, if we can understand this, it'll help us understand the whole. Here we have this man, and he loves to have that preeminence. He loves to put himself first. 
And that's a problem. See, we're going to see it that it's going to impact a church. It's going to impact that whole church where Diotrephes is. And maybe I can just say it this way in a simple way. A self-centered church finds its roots in a self-centered person or a leader. Yeah, it's possible for a a church to become just inwardly focused, to become self-centered, to become just about us, but it often happens because the leaders and the ones who are a part of it, that's the life that they're living, and it just flows into that. So a self-centered person often becomes the reason that a church can become that way. Let's go a little deeper. So the root of this that's in Diotrephes' life is that he loves to have the preeminence. That's how it says it, right? He loves to have the preeminence, or he likes to put himself first. That's how the ESV renders this verse. I like it. It says, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, he does not acknowledge our authority. Okay, we need to pause again. And and I need you just to think this through with me for a moment. Because we're painting this man as the problem that he is. But part of the problem right now is it's very, very possible that you could read this and so identify him in a vilified way. Kind of thing that, you know, uh, you know, this would be kind of like the Emperor Palpatine if you're a Star Wars person, or Sauron if you're Lord of the Rings, or Lex Luthor, or whatever it would be like. It's like, okay, that's the bad guy. Like, now we know the bad guy, and he's really, really bad. Like, he's evil. Like, he's, you know, got something inherently wrong with him that makes him uniquely that way. And if I paint this, this that way, that is going to go the wrong direction. What I think God would want us to hear as we gaze at this is that we would understand what's happening inside the heart of Diotrephes is something that every single one of us are struggling with. Yeah, here's what we understand, that pride... Self-centeredness, it lurks in every one of our hearts. It's not like we're looking at something and going, I can't believe someone would be that way. I can't believe someone would be so self-centered as wanting to put themselves first. But here's the thing. Every one of us struggles with it. The Bible's really clear. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. We struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, John tells us in 1 John, and the pride of life. In many ways... Pride almost becomes its heartbeat. Self-centeredness almost becomes the part of the whole. In fact, it's kind of a silly uh, kind of illustration of it, but it works for my silly brain. When I look at the way it's rendered in the English, and I think of the word sin or the word pride, it's just worth noting, I is the singular letter. Like, it all centers in me. Yeah. In so many ways, if you want to get a good definition of sin and a good definition of pride... It is a place where you put yourself first, where life all becomes about you, where it goes wrong, where you against everything, you against God, you against everything that's there. It becomes a place where it is you. And so much what we are always needing to be reminded is it's not all about you. You literally are not the center of the universe. And I hope that's not like brand new news to you kind of deal. No, I know it's not. But I want to just say it very, very clearly. That's the struggle. That's the struggle is that we find ourselves so often making everything about us, thinking in one sense that the world revolves around us, that everything is, that it's all about who we are. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. But here's what I know. Every one of you struggles with this. 
There's not, there's not anybody here this morning go, man, I can't believe anybody's like that. I'm glad I don't ever struggle with that. So not true. You do. You do in a place that at times we can look at the world and, and everything becomes about, it's like the weather becomes about us. You know, you know, it gets really bad when you're like, man, it's just about me. I don't know why the weather keeps doing it to me. I mean, like the whole, you know, world ecosystem, but you know, everything's about how the weather affects. Yeah, it becomes all about us. Everything becomes about us. Everything becomes problematic. And that's one of the things that is breaking our world. Self-centeredness, pride, it's the root of all of these things. And if you can look at it this way, that we would look at Diotrephes, not as an example of somebody that we can't even imagine being like. But if we're all together honest, there's a Diotrephes lurking in your heart. It's lurking in mine. It's lurking in mine. I know it. I feel it. I feel that brokenness inside me. I know that it's there. I know that that's a part of it. And some of that is what we're needing to make sure that we understand. As we gaze upon that, there's a danger of just making sure that we understand it's bad because here's how insidious it can become. We can become those that we can take the best of things. We can take the gospel of Jesus Christ and literally we can make it about us. We could make it as if we are the end of the story, as if everything were about us, so that we reinterpret it all that way. Hey, we could do a dozen uh, of applications and illustrations of it. Let me just give you one. Maybe it'll be helpful. God, make it so. I want to start quoting a verse. I'm going to give you the first part of a verse, and then I want you to finish the verse out loud. So yeah, you can actually, like, out loud, I want you to finish the verse that I start, okay? So I'll begin it. It's Psalm 4610. Be still and... Very good. Be still and... It's a great verse, right? This place where God is inviting us to pause, to know, to see that He's God. Anybody know the rest of the verse? If you know the rest of the verse, go ahead and say it. There's the rest of the verse. In fact, that's the middle of the sentence. I don't know if you noticed it. It's got a colon, a semicolon at the end of this. God says, I want you to be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Can I say it in the most clear way? It's not supposed to stop with you. But here's the way we do Christianity. It's as if it's all about me. I'm just here to get happy. I'm just here for so I can feel peace. You know, I want to be still and know that he's, that he's God. That's a great space. And yet we forget that it's not supposed to end there. It, as we get to know the true God of the universe, it's the God that everybody needs to know. And this place of us discovering who God is is meant to make us the light of the world so that the people will see God and be saved. That the heartbeat of the scriptures is always meant to invite us into the far bigger picture that God is seeking to impact the entire world, to have a heart for the nation. So you have this great verse, but it's not meant to end with us, but we can do that. Hey, let me give you just a few more. Uh, I won't have you just repeat them, but I just want you to think through some of the incredible accounts, and each of them you see that this is where it's meant to be. I think about the beginning of the nation of Israel. Think about God's promises to Abraham, and he tells us there in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. It's a good promise. It's the beginning 
uh, of the nation of Israel. It's really got the heartbeat of the gospel in there. That the Bible would tell us that through the blessing of Abraham is the blessing of Christ. I mean, so much that's here. But he says, hey, come, come follow me. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and make you great. True story. That's what God was meant to do, but it's not the end of the sentence, right? He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I want to make you a blessing to the whole world. I want every person, I want every nation to be impacted by what you are. I mean, that was always God's plan. And sometimes people got it. They understood it. David understood it. He's facing down Goliath, right? This incredible giant that has brought fear and trembling into the nation. He gets there, and in 1 Samuel 17, David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled, like you've defied him, like you've stood against God. This day, he says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then notice what he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I just want you to understand, David understood it was more than just about his pleasure and, and, and even Israel's kind of being freed from their enemy. He's like, I want to do this in such a way because I want the world to know there's a God. There's a, God is God. I, I want the world to see who he is, and it's always meant to be that way. It's always meant to be in this space that who we are is a mental place to be where God meets us but then wants to work through us to impact the world. That's the gospel. That's the power of what's going forward. And that's what makes Diotrephes so scary. That's what makes what he's doing so wrong because he has kind of hijacked this whole thing in his own life and he's made it all about himself. In fact, maybe we just want to contrast that really quickly, right? So we're thinking about Diotrephes. Again, I like the way it says it here in the New King James Version where it simply tells us, I wrote to the church in verse 9, but Diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence. That's a problem. That's a problem. Preeminent, to be first, to be thought first. That's a problem because, can I tell you? It's Jesus that is supposed to be preeminent. Yeah, that's how it's given to us in the book of Colossians, that Christ was meant to be that way, that he would say it this way, that in all things, Jesus, speaking of him, that he may have the preeminence. Yeah, Jesus is supposed to be preeminent. In fact, this is a really great little uh, section, little paragraph there in Colossians. So let me back up and just read all of it. Speaking of Jesus, said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Like, it is all because of him. In Christ, is, he's over all of it. All of that, he says, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. Yet Jesus is meant to be first in everything everywhere, everything that is finds its roots and existence in him. That is true in everything that exists, but so much more in the church. As he goes on to say, 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Yeah, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus first. It's about this space that we are meant to be that. And that's what finds this just inherently so incredibly broken because it's replacing that place that Jesus is supposed to have. By diatrophies and those in that like putting themselves there, it's this place of putting themselves in a place that is meant to be Christ first. But it's more than that. So in Christ, in the body of Christ, it is Christ first, and then it is others. So we think about that familiar thing. You guys are familiar with it. We talk about it all the time. When Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first. Second is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Like, that's how we're supposed to be driven. And that's supposed to be what we are as a body of Christ. Paul would write it this way in Philippians. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Again, that's just a good pause to say that because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about self-ambition. We're talking about me first. We're talking about it's all about me. He says, don't let anything be driven that way. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Yeah, don't make it all about you. It's first and foremost about God, and then it's about this place of loving others, ultimately being the love of the gospel, being that heart that we'd have for the whole world. Paul goes on in Philippians there and says, hey, this is the mind of Christ. This is, this is taking up the way that he lived and, and the way we're supposed to be. It is meant to be who we are. So feel this for a moment. We just, we, we've, we, we're looking at diatrophies. We're trying to figure out what's wrong and what went wrong and what God is just taking us in this x-ray of his heart. He says he has put himself first. He likes to be first. He wants to be first. And that becomes the thing that causes all the rest of the problems that flow out of that. That's the thing that moves from this place of having a heart problem to what he says next. Go there in verse 10. It says, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, notice, fratting against us with malicious words. Pratting. That's just a great word, by the way. Pratting against us with malicious words. Pratting has the idea of speaking or proclaiming or almost the idea of just you know, prophesying, but because it, it's going to be used that way throughout uh, Scripture, just saying, hey, this is what we're saying is right. This is what we're saying is, is there. And he is doing that. He's pratting against John. He's pratting against missionaries. He's pratting against everything that's there. It's not a surprise, I suppose, because Jesus told us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if his heart is self-centered, it's going to flow out into what he says. And here it comes out in a way that makes him stand against uh, the work that God is doing, stand against missions, stand against the continuation of the gospel going to the whole world. He speaks against that, and he specifically speaks against John. He specifically speaks to the Apostle John and saying, hey, we, we're, we're standing against all that that would be. We think about all that that is. Uh, we think about what that looks like. We think about the, the, the brokenness that is in the midst of that. And once more, I just want to make you just stop and think with me because the danger is, again, we think about this in some evil way. 
It's like all, you know, horrible words. But the danger is, honestly, these kinds of words can sometimes sound logical. They can almost sound like, well, that doesn't sound too bad. But it really, really is. It really, really is. And I just want to tell you it happens. I mean, it happens. So I just want to give you a few examples. I mean, real conversations that I've had with, with pastors. I mean, just honest to, 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 to goodness, like this is exactly the conversation we have. And, and hearing where it is, and I want to tell you it falls exactly into this category. So I've had ones and we talk about what God is doing, our churches, and, and we'll talk about what he's doing around the world or missions or something like that. And I've had a number tell me something like this. You know, where I'd ask them, so like, what are you guys doing? You know, what are you guys doing for missions? And they would say something to this effect. Well, you know, uh, we're not really focused on that right now. You know, we're really kind of focused on getting our church in order. Uh, we have, we're trying to get everything lined out here. And then once we get this established, you know, then we'll think about doing missions or then we'll think about things to the end of the earth. But right now, we just got to take care of this. Like right now, this is what we're focused on. And I just want to tell you, that's never going to go well. I mean, that becomes a, like, hey, we're just taking care of us. Other times I've had some that say, well, you know, we don't really do missions because there's so many needs in our backyard. Um, like, we, like, why would we send resources and money and people overseas when, you know, there's just so many needs in our community or there's so many needs in our church? And again, the danger is it could almost sound, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but it is bad. If we become self-centered, if we become like, hey, we're just trying to take care of us, if we become just those that focus on that, and the very moment we're outside of what Christ is doing, the very moment we don't have his heart for the world, at the very moment we become that, it becomes problematic. And the danger is that that so often can be even just mimicked in the way it works into people's hearts. Because a church can go this way, but people can as well. Again, I've heard the same conversation. I've had the conversation where somebody will say something to like this effect. Um, yeah, you know, I don't really do anything for Jesus. I don't really live for anything. I just got to take care of me right now. You know, I'm, I'm just in a section of life that I just got to work on me. Uh, I'm just working on me, uh, you know, and once I get me all figured out, you know, then I'll think about, you know, doing something with the church or being a part of the church. I just want to tell you, that is never going to go well for you. That is never going to go. Making you the center of your world, making you the focus of it. Oh, don't get me wrong. Please, I understand. I'm not saying, you know, asking you to do ever more than you could do. I understand physically sometimes people aren't able. But I could just tell you, you are never being invited into a place that you make it first and foremost about you. No matter where you are, you are being invited to make it first and foremost about Jesus. It's like, Jesus, I love you. I want to love you, and I want to be a part of what your work is doing, even if it's just my prayers. I want my prayers to be bigger than just praying for my own, you know, world and health, and, and, and I want to pray for what the, is happening around the world. I want to be somebody that has a heart for the world. It is never going to go well for you if you become self-centered. It is never going to work well, but that's exactly what Diotrephes was doing. Not only was he pratting, though, he was pratting with malicious words. Yeah, that's what it says, and just so you see it there in verse 10. It says, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. Malicious has the idea of evil, speaking evil of, or, you know, kind of attacking uh, somebody's character, kind of attacking uh, who they are, and it's a terrible space. So you almost have to imagine, in one sense, Diotrephes is so against what John is doing, so against the gospel going forward, not only is he, you know, self-centered, he is attacking anybody that isn't where he is. 
And he's not just reasoning. He's speaking with unkind words. Um, He's speaking with words that vilify and attack. And somehow I'm wanting you to hear that so that you would recognize that is never a good thing. Like, it is never a good thing. I mean, if somebody is doing it that way, it is never something that's going to flow out of good space. I think about the way that uh, James would give it to us. He says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. He says, if if what's flowing out of your heart is envy and jealousy and, and it's this place of self-seeking, and then it's flowing out into your words. Just know where that's coming from. It's not, that's not the way God is working. And it's, not, it's something that should be able to be identified and said, that's not, that's not good. Like, that is, that is not something that, that I should be able to identify as good. So in this context, here's the, again the challenge. He's telling us that we should be able to recognize those voices that are voices we should not be following that he's going to tell us, hey, imitate that which is good. Don't imitate that which is evil. So we are meant to be able to look and say, hey, that's not a good example for me. Somebody who is maliciously attacking other people who disagree with them, it just should be like a little light bulb that goes, this is not a good thing. Like, I mean, even if we were dealing with something good, it, maliciousness is now, it, it's self-identifying as something that is evil. Well, for Diotrephes, it didn't just end with his words. His heart was wrong. He was self-seeking and wanting to have the preeminence. He is speaking against John, but add to it there in verse 10. Therefore, he says, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Wow. This is a crazy moment. He is actually forbidding anybody from doing what, you know, John is wanting him to do. So you have these traveling missionaries who are, you know, kind of traveling through and they're trying to continue the gospel into unreached areas. This church where Diotrephes is has become so self-centered, like, hey, we're just doing us, we're just focused on us, so that if anybody comes through as a missionary, not only will Diotrephes not allow the church uh, to partner with them or see them or encourage them, if anybody wants to. If anybody wants to be a part of that, he kicks them out of the church. He literally kicks them out of the church. It's kind of that idea, you know, my way or the highway kind of talk. Like, hey, you do it this way or you don't do it at all. Wow. Wow. I don't know how that lands for you. I I don't know if you can imagine it. Try to imagine that actually happening. Like, actually imagine such a mess and such a, a weird space that there's this self-important person who is, you know, kicking people out of the church who just don't agree with him or do it his way. And I wonder where that lands for you. I wonder where that is. Now, I'm going to approach this in a different way. If that sounds shocking to you, if you're like, man, I can't even imagine church ever, I can't, I can't imagine that ever happening in a church if you honestly believe that, then there's only a couple possibilities. Possibility number one, you're not a Christian yet. Possibility number one, you're here this morning and somebody brought you and they brought you here. We're so glad you're here. But somehow in the back of your mind, you still have this weird notion that church is a nice place for nice people. That nice people all get together so all the nice people can be nice and good people can be good. And yet one thing you know about you is you are not good. 
You, you find yourself even sitting here like, I don't know if I fit. I, don't, I feel like I'm a bad person. And, and sometimes I'm so prideful and so selfish. And, and you feel like you don't belong into this. Can I tell you, hey, here's the deal. There are no good people. There's only bad people. There's only broken people. There's only sinful people. That's all that we have. That's all that God is doing. And the gospel is about Jesus coming and rescuing broken people. He does that. And it's a beautiful thing that he saves people who, rescue, who, who are undeserving and unworthy and broken. And he doesn't immediately fix that. Like the moment you get saved, it's not like you just turn off all the brokenness. No, still, we still live in this world. We still struggle with sin so that all Christians are still sinners. And so it's still a part of it. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet believe that. And, you, and maybe you just thought that church was different than that. I just want to tell you it's not. Like it's broken people and you need to be saved. Or maybe you are saved. Maybe you're a new Christian or maybe you're just one of those, if I can say it nicely, disobedient Christians. I mean, you're not really involved in the church. You don't really get involved in anything. And so for you, you have this, again, fairy tale mentality that church is a bunch of nice people all being nice and uh, everybody who's doing perfectly does church. But here's what I know. Some of you have been around church for a while. And for some of you, you're like, oh, I could tell you stories. I got stories. I mean, it's a weird deal. I mean, if you've ever tried to organize anything in church, like you tried to do a VBS or you tried to do something, and then all of a sudden you find out there are some people with some really strong opinions and selfishness and envious and, and jealous and, and frustratingly so. And you're like, me and you guys are like, ah, working with Christians. It, it can be problematic. Hey, I don't mean that as an insult to you guys in the church, but you know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know who I am. I know who I am. And, and so here's the deal. I mean, we, we are broken people. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise that there's brokenness in the church. It's not a surprise that sometimes it happens that way. But here's the point. Neither is it okay. Neither is it something we're supposed to do it. Because see, here's what Diotrephes is doing. He is, he is in a very dictatorial way controlling the church, saying, hey, you do it my way or you're out. You do it my way or I, you're, you can't be a church with us. And I think about what Peter would write in 1 Peter where he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not as lords. Not just being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples. He says, you're not to be the boss. You're not to be the one that's lording it over people and kind of being dictatorial. He says, that's not what we are. It's not how it's supposed to happen. It's brokenness in the midst of that. It's, it's meant to be there, which is exactly part of the point. If I'm making a little bit of sense to you here, if this is beginning to kind of land, here's the, 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 the action step for you. It's the only imperative in this entire letter, the only thing where you are being asked to do something in this short letter is in the next verse. Notice it again. Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. Yeah, there becomes the challenge. There becomes our great need hey, make sure you're following good examples. You're a sheep. That's what you are. You're imitating whether you realize it or not. Make sure that who you're imitating is a good example. Make sure that what you're choosing as the examples of your life are the ones that's going to leave you in a good way because if it's good, it's going to be from God. If, it's, if, if someone's doing evil, that is not from God. 
If they're being malicious, if they're being self-seeking, if they're being controlling, it's as if you should say, that's not a good example for me. That's not where I want to go. This is a great need for us. I don't know where this lands for you this morning. I don't know what you think about our little quick kind of talking about diatrophies this morning, but I want to be really clear. Diatrophies makes me sad, but it scares me. It scares me because I know inside of me there's a diatrophies. I know my heart, and, and my heart is self-seeking. Given, given bead to my flesh, I will make the world about me. And here's what I want to tell you. That is not what I need help with. I don't need help with being selfish. I can do that good enough all on my own. I need help overcoming. I need help turning away from that. That's what we're supposed to do. See, I can look at diatrophies, and I, it, it scares me because I'm concerned. It was there, wherever this is being written to, where John writes this letter, but I'm concerned here in our generation that diatrophies might be a really popular pastor. I just want to tell you, we live in such a weird day that, honestly, someone like a Diotrephes could probably gain quite a following. It's a weird thing. I don't even know how to kind of put it to you, but we, we're somehow almost drawn to it. I mean, we live in a world that, you know, tends to prop up celebrities or make them whatever they are, and then the church does its own kind of thing where we kind of have celebrity pastors or whatever it is, and all of a sudden we have people, and, and they can be arrogant, and they can speak with malicious words, and they can be building their own kingdom, and people seem to love it. <laughs> like, it's great. Like, I want to follow that, and I'm just wanting to tell you that scares me. It scares me for us. It scares me for me. I know where it goes. I know where that's going to land. I think about it in Proverbs. Some of you have been reading this in Proverbs, and so we just read this a couple days ago. In Proverbs 16, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It says, you see it? <laughs> you see someone walking in pride? I know where that's going. I, I, know, I know where that path is going to lead. I, I know someone who's walking on that path. It is going to go to a place that it's going to explode. And I can tell you it happens. I can tell you it happens with churches. I can tell you it happens with people. And sad realities, we have these arrogant and self-centered and self-seeking. And sometimes it just explodes uh, on, on the church scene and crashes. But if it doesn't in this life, it's going to at the judgment seat of Christ. Those who have built a kingdom to build up their own name, jealousy, envy, and all that that is. Jesus tells us all that's going to be sifted, and it's going to be like sandcastles before the ocean. It just wipes them out. And everything that we've, we've built for our own kingdom, our own, it's going to end badly. And there ought to be a place of saying, hey, that is not what I want. Like, that is not what I want. I'm just telling you where I am. I know for me, I want to see the other examples. I want to see people like John the Baptist, who made that incredible statement, he must increase. I must decrease. I, he's going to grow. I want to go down. He's going to go up. I don't want to make it about me. I want to make it about him. I want to see people who are doing it the way that Jesus told us to do it. Where Jesus called, he says, said it this way, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, you're going to have to say no to yourself. You're going to have to say no to you. 
You're going to have to deny your desire for preeminence. You're going to have to say no to yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross, and you're going to have to do that daily. And then you can follow him. That's a beautiful road. That's a beautiful place, but that's the road that Jesus is inviting on. That's the road that we need. That's the road that we find ourselves in this. That's the place where we're supposed to come. I'm telling you, I think that's part of the point here of 3 John, of just reminding us of this and saying, hey, that's what I need. I need to make sure that that's where I'm going. Because again, I'm just trying to be honest with you, as honest as I can honestly be with you. I don't need any help being selfish. I can do that bunny good all by myself. I need, I need help becoming unselfish. I need help denying myself. I need help. I need to see people doing that. And I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. So I need to make sure that the examples that I am esteeming are those who are living this line of life that says, hey, it's not about me. Boy, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It, it, it's about exalting him. And I want to tell you, there are such, there are such, but we ought to make sure that that is who we are imitating, that you are, you are imitating. It's a weird thing. We learn through imitation so well and so often. And and to grow in Christ in one of the ways is both to recognize this and then say, okay, that's what I want. I need, I need, I need me some good examples. And, And where the examples go badly, we need to disconnect from that. Again, I just want to be as clear as I can to make sure that you're not thinking I'm just talking about other people. I hope that's not what you find here. I hope you don't find, you know, me as a dictator or us kind of saying, hey, it's just about us at Calvary Chapel. We're only doing us. But if you do, if that's how you find it, if you ever find that way in me, I hope you would lovingly kind of confront me. That's what John was going to do. John says, when I come to mind, I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to call to mind what he's doing wrong. And sometimes those kind of fixes can happen. I hope it happens. But if, I, if that's what you find here or ever find here, then I want to give you an open invitation. Leave as quick as you can and go find a church where you find it about Jesus, where you find it not about self-exaltation because you don't need any help with your pride either. You don't need someone helping you be prideful because a self-centered person in leadership often creates a self-centered church that encourages the followers to be self-centered. And that is not what we're meant to be about. We're meant to be about Christ-centered. We're meant to be about Jesus. We're meant to be saying, I want to be about him, and I want to see him known across the world. I want to be a part of his kingdom. I want to be still and know that he's God. But I want him to be exalted among the nations. I want him to be exalted in the earth. It is not just about me being happy. It's about the gospel. It's about all that that is, and that's the life that I want to live. And John is just saying, hey, make sure that in your mind, you can differentiate between, hey, this is one I should imitate, and this is one I should not. Like a Diotrephes, you should be able to go, uh, you know, like he is malicious and self-seeking, and no, I don't need to, I need to tune out of that one, I need to tune over to, to those who are drawing me to Christ, and it's about Jesus. So that's where we're going to end this morning. Would you take a, your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and let's take a moment and just go before him in prayer. I don't know where it's found to be this morning. I don't know where in the midst of our talk about diatrophies is landing for you. I want to come back and say maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here, and again, you still are in that mistaken notion that you thought church was for good people. It is not. It's for bad people. It's for sinfully selfish, prideful, arrogant 
self-centered, you know, people that we desperately needed Jesus and still do. And if you find yourself on the outside of that, we invite you in. We invite you into a gospel that can change your life. We invite you into believing in Jesus. But maybe you're his. And just to see these things, I'm hoping it exposes both where we could do wrong and where we need to go right. So I, I, I know this, that God would be inviting us to say, it's not about us. Boy, it's not, I am not the center of the world. Thankfully, Jesus is. And it's a space of just writing that. Both is our understanding, but again, if there needs to be any changes, if there are those that you highly esteem and yet you'd look on them and think, okay, well, they are self-centered, arrogant, uh, malicious. You know, It's like, but I really like listening to them. I like, I like their podcasts. I like reading their books. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't. Uh, because they're influencing you, and you don't want that. You want to find people that you say, show me people that are helping me see Jesus, that are John the Baptist kind of people, that are, you know, Paul and Barnabas who, who get there, and people are trying to, you know, offer idols to him, and they run into the crowds tearing their clothes saying, don't do that. We are men just like you. Don't esteem us. Don't put us in those pedestals. Don't let it happen because it is Christ that we're here to exalt. It is Christ that we need. So quietly, would you take a moment and pray to him about that? I'll do the same, and then we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, thank you for the honesty of your word. I think about diatrophies, and Lord, I just tell you what we've already been talking about. It makes me sad. I'm sad that one would be considered a leader in a church who lifts himself up and attacks everybody else and is resistant to the gospel itself. It makes me sad to have that misrepresentation. I could wish it would never be so, but it is so. But God, then I come even more and say, he doesn't just make me sad, he scares me. God, you know my heart, and, and I can look at it and say, I, I feel a diatrophies inside of me. I think about the song we're about to sing. One of the phrasings of it that just says, my heart it is drawn to self-exalting. God, is just true. And I just want to come into your presence and admit it and say, Lord, I know that's the wrong path. And I want to come in and say, it's not, not, not that I want. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to see you exalted. I want to see you lifted up. 
I am so grateful that we get to find a space in you where we can have peace, that we get to be still and know that you're God. Oh, I long for that for each of us now, but I recognize that's not where it's supposed to end. Us knowing you is only a part of the thing that we get to then be a part of the gospel, that you would be exalted among the nations, that you would be exalted to the end of the earth, whole world would know. Thank you that that's what you're about. Thank you that's what you're still about. Thank you, Jesus, you told us to do that, and you said you would be with us doing it till the end of the age. Cause us to connect. Cause us to be in step. So Lord, teach us. Help us to imitate that which is good. Help us to, to learn to imitate that which is good, but don't imitate evil. Teach us how to do that. I ask it for me and for each of us now. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God help us to be those who are learning to say no to ourselves daily and yes to him. Yes to all that he is and all that he has. If that's you again for the first time giving your life to Jesus, we're here. Come up after this. Talk to us. We'd love to pray with you and help you walk in that. But right now, we want to just worship in that. So why don't you stand? We're going to sing kind of a final song in the midst of it, saying in many ways that very reality that God would meet us in that and may God grow us in that. To that end, I just want to bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.